0: Sorry, that was totally my bad. (laughs) I turned my mic on too soon. Well, good morning and welcome again. Uh, We're glad you're here. Now, I just love the the words of that song we just sang. Uh, Your glory is so beautiful. I fall down on my knees in awe. The heartbeat of my life is to worship in your light. Your glory is so beautiful. I think that's really the heart of this series that we're in right now. Jesus the King is recognizing how awesome, how good, how amazing, how glorious God is, Jesus is, and to live in light of that, to worship, to obey, to follow. And this morning, I'm really excited uh, because we're going to have an opportunity to respond to Jesus' kingship, to live in light of this glory in a real and tangible way. Uh, I'm going to be talking later about a push that we're making for something called the Community Compassion Fund. And this is a fund that exists specifically to love and bless uh, people in our community, people outside of our church walls. It's something that has existed for uh, a long time, 10 to 15 years, but it's it's generally not something that we've uh, talked a lot about or, or, or pushed for you guys, but it is something that we want to be a greater emphasis in our church. And so we're going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, We'll talk more about what the fund is, why it's important, uh, what you can do uh, to be involved in it. Uh, We're even going to get to hear some sharing from Julie Spessert today, which is going to be awesome. Uh, So we'll get to that in a bit. But I wanted to begin this morning uh, by looking at a couple of passages that help us to understand this invitation to love and bless others in the context of this larger story of Jesus the King. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Mark 7, 24. Let's jump right in. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. So, this is a pretty strange passage. A woman whose name isn't mentioned approaches Jesus with a serious request. Her daughter is possessed by a demon and she's desperate. You can tell she's desperate to find anyone who can help her. And this seems like kind of a slam dunk setup for a miraculous healing. This is what Jesus does. But he responds in this surprising way. He says, First, let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Uh, If you've ever been reading through your Bible and you happened upon this passage, you probably had to read it two or three times to make sure you got it right. Like, what did Jesus just, just say? Did he tell her, No? Did he call her a dog? It does sound as if Jesus is telling her that he's not going to heal her daughter. And to add insult to injury, he seems to compare her to a household dog. On the surface, this exchange seems totally out of character for Jesus. It's a little bit unsettling. But I don't think Jesus is telling her no. And I definitely don't think he's insulting her. Instead, what I think he's doing here is he's drawing her into a conversation. I think he wants to understand who this woman is and where she's coming from. See, this is a pretty interesting point in the Gospel of Mark. Up until this moment, Jesus' ministry has been almost exclusively to the Jewish people. And that might seem... A little strange to us too, but there's some important reasons for that. Remember, Jesus came to fulfill God's Old Testament covenant promises. In the Old Testament, God had promised Israel a Messiah, a Savior, a King who would deliver and restore his people. And so for one thing, the Jewish people are in the best position to understand who Jesus is and what he came to do. It would make sense to build the foundation of of his movement from this, this people who had a theological context for who he was. But just as importantly, he wants to make sure that his life and his ministry ultimately reveal God's faithfulness to his promise. He goes to the Jews first because before he can do anything else, he wants to make sure that they see, that everyone sees, that God has brought this promise restoration, and deliverance in him. Jesus goes to the Jews first so that he can confidently say to everyone, to the nations, when God makes a promise, you can count on. It. And so Jesus has been specifically teaching, healing, and ministering to the people of Israel. But here in chapter 7, he leaves Israel, enters this non-Jewish area of Tyre, and encounters this Gentile woman. And it's pretty curious that she would approach him. She's a pagan Gentile, most likely had worshipped a a pagan Greek Roman gods. She's a woman in a patriarchal society, and she's been made ritually unclean by an impure spirit in her daughter. And so for her to barge into this house, for her to approach this male Jewish rabbi, To fall on her knees before him would have been really surprising, would have taken the disciples aback a little bit. And so I think Jesus wants to dig deeper into her understanding, her motives, and just as importantly, I think he wants to challenge his disciples, his followers, to consider their understanding of his mission. And so Jesus does what he always does when he wants to challenge people to go deeper. He tells a simple parable. And the parable uses one of the most important images for God's blessing, the table. The idea of eating and dining at God's table was a picture of kingdom life, of blessing, of joy, experiencing God's goodness. But this is also an image that the woman would understand, that she would be able to engage with. There's something inclusive about the way he uses the universal language of the family meal. And so he uses this language and he tells her, okay, right now, it's time for the children to eat, for the people of Israel. It's not time yet for the dogs. And the word he uses for dogs is is kind of an unusual word. It's not like just dog. It's probably a closer word to puppies. There's an affectionate quality to this word. And so he's not insulting her. He's not rejecting her. He's explaining his mission. And notice, he doesn't say no, he doesn't ask her to leave, he leaves the door open for a response. Jesus is always willing to go deeper. And so the woman does respond, and in doing so, she communicates uh, the foundational idea of our time today, of what we're going to get into. Uh, She communicates the mission of Jesus in a way that amazes him. Seems like it kind of knocks him off of his feet. Because she sees the seeds of the gospel in this parable. She says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So what she's saying is this. She's saying, okay, that's fair. But let's talk about this table. Let's talk about this situation. Even if the children eat everything they want, even if they eat till they're stuffed, if your God is who I think he is, if you are who I think you are, if the person who's setting the table is who I think it is, then there's definitely going to be leftovers. There will still be crumbs that fall to the puppies. And so can't I just eat if I know there's going to be more? In short, this, is, this woman is recognizing that God's grace is abundant. It's overflowing. And that regardless of whether you're a child or a puppy in this household, there's enough for everyone to get fed. It's an amazing insight. Here's what Pastor Tim Keller says in uh, the book we've been going through. He says, Isn't this amazing? She doesn't take offense, she doesn't stand on her rights. She says, All right, I may not have a place at the table, but. There's more than enough on that table for everyone in the world, and I need mine now. She's wrestling with Jesus in the most respectful way, and she will not take no for an answer. There is more than enough for everyone. There's more than enough healing, there's more than enough blessing, there's more than enough grace to go around in this kingdom economy. And this is a foundational idea for following Jesus. Uh, in our household, at dinnertime, my son Grayson and I have an almost nightly conflict over rice and seaweed. Grayson is kind of a picky eater, so he doesn't eat that much of like our normal food, but he loves white rice and nori, or like Japanese seaweed. And so it's kind of the staple of his dinner, and it doesn't matter what we're eating. We could be having teriyaki chicken, or fajitas. And he's going to want some rice and seaweed. This is definitely the most Japanese thing about him. But I love rice and seaweed, too. I'm a good little Japanese boy. And so every night at dinner time, after I'm done eating, I kind of slide over next to him, and I'll start picking from his plate. You know, I'll start making myself the little rice balls and eating them. And every night, he kind of slides the plate away from me like, Dad. This is my rice. This is my seaweed. And so I always have to kind of tell him, like, Great, Like, if we eat up the rice on your plate, what happens? I go get you more rice. There's a big old pot in the kitchen. If we eat up the seaweed from this package, I go open you another package. We go to Tokyo Central once a month and buy like six containers of nori for you. We're not going to run out. And at some point, he always remembers and laughs and is like, okay, you can have a couple. (laughs) At the table of God, we're invited to recognize two things. First, there is more than enough grace for you. And it's not about who you are. It's not about where you come from. It's not not about what you've done, what's your ethnic background. There is a place at the table for you. Not because of who you are, but because this is who God is. This is how abundant his love and mercy is. But because of that, God wants us to see this second thing, that there is more than enough grace to share. That there are people around us who need a seat at the table. Regardless of who they are and what they do, there's a place at that table for them too. God has provided more than enough for them to eat. And I think that Jesus is challenging his followers in this moment to see both truths and to place both at the center of their commitment to him. He's basically saying, hey, I want you to experience my abundant grace, but our mission is ultimately to share it with others. And in case they didn't understand this, in case it wasn't quite clear from his interaction with the woman, he makes this abundantly clear in the days that followed. See, almost immediately after this encounter with the Gentile woman, Jesus Jesus basically brings this whole table parable to life so that they can live it, so that they can experience it. He wants them to see that this wasn't just a one-time random encounter, that this woman was an exception to the rule. No, no, that this was what they were about. And he wanted them to participate. Mark 8.1, this is a familiar story. During those days, another large crowd gathered. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and he did so. They did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over, about 4,000, we present. There's something really cool about this miracle that's, that's easy to miss. This is actually the second miraculous feeding in these few chapters. It's actually kind of redundant. In Mark 6, right before Jesus' encounter with the Gentile woman, Jesus feeds a crowd of 5,000 hungry Jewish people. And then in these days, after the encounter with the woman, here in Mark 8, he feeds another huge crowd, this time 4,000, most of them Gentiles. And readers have often wondered why these two stories exist. Why tell us about such similar events? If if Jesus can feed a group of 5,000, why is it necessary to include this story about feeding 4,000? And I think part of the answer lies in this parable from Mark 7 this woman's profession of faith. Jesus wants us to see as clear as day that she had it right, that she recognized the truth about his mission that he hadn't fully revealed yet and that most hadn't figured out yet, that there is more than enough for everyone, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles too. And Jesus wants his disciples to see it, He wants them to understand it, and he wants them to act on it, to participate in it. Notice what he does in in these miracles. Mark 8, 6 and 7, he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. Twice, Mark tells us that he took of this abundance, and he asked his disciples to give. The symbolism of the story is really rich out of the fullness of this miracle out of the fullness of God's abundance the disciples take what Jesus has produced and they they give things they give bread they give fish to these hungry people they walk around this crowd of 4000 people imagine how long that would have taken and imagine what it would have felt like to carry this basket to reach in to know you started with 7 loaves of bread and just keep on passing out more and more bread, more and more fish, and imagine what it would have felt like after everyone had eaten their fill, everyone was satisfied to see that there's actually left over. The disciples, it doesn't seem like they totally realized it at that moment, but I bet later I bet after the cross, I bet as they build up the church, they probably remembered that moment. They probably remembered that feeling. They remembered how abundant God's grace was. And they remembered that they always had enough to give to others. Not because of who they were, not because the people around them deserved it, but because that's who God is. And this really is the heart of the gospel message. This is what it means to follow Jesus, to be a disciple. And so this is why we want loving and blessing others to be a vital part of what we do as a church. Uh, For the past couple years, we've been talking about this idea of kingdom life. This is our paradigm for discipleship. To be a disciple is to pursue kingdom life. Recognizing Jesus as king and to do life with God, under God, and for God. Life with God is experiencing a relationship with Jesus and the church. To know him, to be loved by him in the context of community. Life under God is committing to follow Jesus in all spheres of life. To have him be king over work, over home, over family, over friends, over relationships. To grow in obedience and Christ-likeness. And life for God is what it all leads to. To serve and bless others. Make disciples. Impact our world. And from the very beginning, from when we kind of rolled out this uh, discipleship paradigm, the thing we've realized is that the thing we need to work on the most has been this last step, life for God. As a staff, we recognize that we need to provide more opportunities for us as a church to love and bless people, our world, our community. If you took part in the Multiply class we did last year, you probably remember uh, Pastor Francis Chan challenging us with these words. I remember as I read it and as I taught it, he said, an inwardly focused church is a dying church. Those are challenging words, and and we want to do better. It's a work in progress, for sure. And so a few months ago, when uh, Julie Spessart brought up the possibility of making the Community Compassion Fund a greater emphasis in our church, Uh, our staff, our board, we were really excited about this idea. Uh, It's one way of being obedient to this calling to do life for God. So let me tell you a little bit more about this fund. Uh, It was started about 10 to 15 years ago by uh, Stephanie Suzuki. And Steph's heart was really to share our resources and blessings with the community. Steph had been pretty involved in our Benevolence Fund, which is a fund that exists to provide support for church members who are in financial need. So those of you who go to CBC. And honestly, our church has always stepped up big time for the Benevolence Fund. We've seen your generosity, your love, the way you care about people. But the thing that Steph realized was that there were needs outside of our immediate church community that we needed to meet as well. And those things went outside of the scope of the Benevolence Fund. And so she started the Community Compassion Fund maybe 10 to 15 years ago. We couldn't really remember exactly what year it was. And the idea was that if you know someone who is in need, who's struggling, a friend, a coworker, a family member, that we could be the church to them that you could reflect the abundant generosity and goodness of God to somebody who just needs a little bit of grace. And over the years, uh, it's been used to do a a lot of really awesome things, uh, to bless uh, people in our community. And one of the people who has had an opportunity to utilize this fund recently is Julie Spesser. And so I've asked Julie to share just a little bit about her experience with it, what led her to push for us to make this fund a greater emphasis in our church and our ministries, and just to kind of share her story of the way she's reflected God's generous abundance. So uh, Julie's gonna come up now. Let's welcome her up, give her a big hand.
1: I'm Julie Spessert, and I've been to CBC since 2018, about, and um, ever since the first time I set foot in the sanctuary, there's been something amazing and extraordinary about worship here, and I feel so blessed to be able to come and worship God here. Um, in t- early 2020, my husband Jason was here in service, and I wasn't here that Sunday. But Pastor Brandon mentioned the Safe Families program, which is one of all of Crest's programs. And Jason came home and told me um, about it and felt very strongly that God was calling us to be part of this program. I was very hesitant, and I hemmed and hawed a lot, um, but decided to pray about the program. And God put James 1.27 on my heart, which says, religion that God our father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Our family decided to just say yes to the Lord and went through the process of becoming a Safe Families host family. This program helps children and parents in dire need and is a network of families that is ready and willing to host children that need a safe place to sleep and live. I didn't really know what this meant as we were in the beginning of the pandemic and it seemed like such a stretch to open up our home, but we decided that we can trust God to always take care of us and we can just say yes to whatever God wanted to do. After we completed the training and background checks, a home visit and a round of interviews, we became a host family. The goal of Safe Families is to, as much as is possible, reunite children with their parents. So we are temporary caregivers, guardians of the children until the parent can provide a safe place for the children to live. The first children that came to stay with us uh, were having to live in their car and they were eight and 10 years old. Their single mother was trying desperately to provide for them. When we went to pick up the children, the younger child was crying, not wanting to leave her mom. It was heartbreaking. The children brought some clothing that they had in trash bags and came and stayed with us for six weeks. Whenever possible, I would take the children to see their mom. She worked very hard working as many hours as she could to be able to afford a place to rent. Our bonds with the children grew and. We helped them with their schoolwork and learned what they liked and what they didn't like. It was during the remote schooling time, so the kids logged on to their online schooling every day. After the mom was able to afford a small apartment, the children were able to go back and live with her. A few months later, she faced more difficulty as she had some health issues and troubles with her car and so the the children came back and stayed with us for a few more weeks while the mom tried to stabilize her life. During this time, I asked the mom if there was something that um, she really needed and she replied, a refrigerator. She could get food from various food pantries but it was really hard without a refrigerator. At the time, I asked Pastor Donna if CBC had any funds that could help provide a refrigerator and there was some money in the Community Compassion Fund. And so with that money, the family was able to get a very small refrigerator that really helped them and continues to help them today. So thank you to the CBC family for providing this for this family in need. Since that time, we've hosted many different children in many different circumstances. Some of the children have come to us with shoes that don't fit and clothes that are too small for them. We've hosted children from the ages of six months to 13 years old. Each circumstance is unique. Some hostings are very short, just one night. Um, Others are longer. We try to extend God's love to each child to see them as God sees them and to give them warmth, love, and support as best as we can. This ministry is messy. We've had some very difficult hostings. But we know that God never promises us easy and mess-free lives. We've also seen God working in miraculous ways, providing things just when they're needed. Like one time there was a hosting for a young child and I didn't have a car seat, so I figured that we couldn't host. But I decided to just ask Tina Lorenz if she happened to have the right stage car seat that I could borrow and if she happened to be home at that moment. And guess what? She was, and she had just what I needed. The Lord, the most exciting part of this ministry to me is just watching the Lord work. I get a front row seat to seeing just how amazing God is. His love truly is deeper than we can imagine. So we would like to build up the Community Compassion Fund to help respond to needs we see in the Safe Families program, but also to encourage you all to look around you to ask where God is leading you to reach out and love to others and to have access to funds as God directs you. When you say yes to God, I believe he opens our eyes to see much more. As specific needs arise, if you would like to be on an email list to receive that information, um, you can sign up on the table outside. Um, For example, sometimes we need gently used clothing like of a specific size Um, Or in the case of the needed refrigerator, if someone had one available, we would like to be able to connect the need with the provider. Or if you're willing to give financially, that is super fantastic. Also, if the Lord is specifically directing you to reach out to someone in compassion and and you need some funds to do this, please contact Steph Suzuki or Tina Lorenz. And that's what this Community Compassion Fund is for. So we are praying for the Lord's leading of all of us and look forward to all that the Lord will do with whatever we offer. Thank you.
0: All right, thank you, Julie, man, that was awesome. Every time I hear her talk about this, um, I'm so inspired. And I think it's a picture of one unique way that we can do life for God. And we're not asking you to do exactly what Julie does or to to be Julie, but just to pursue uh, your own way of reflecting God's goodness to you, God's blessing to you. And the Community Compassion Fund is not the only way to do this by any means, but we think it's a good way to make it easier for you to do this and to provide opportunities that you might not otherwise have. And so Julie mentioned all these, but I want to mention kind of three things, three ways that you can get involved. Uh, You can do one, you can do all three, and you can just pray about doing any one of them. Uh, First, very simply, uh, is you can give to the fund. Uh, For those of you who have attended CBC for a while, this is going to be a blast from the past. The last time we collected funds for this was at the Alternative Christmas Bazaar. Raise your hand if you remember that. Ah, Okay, see a few of you. That was was like a Christmas thing we did, and Steph would collect money from it, and that was a long time ago. And so there's uh, not a whole lot of money left in that fund. And so we just want to invite you, if you feel led, to give. Please don't feel any pressure or any obligation. um, But our goal is basically to just have this fund be healthy enough to where we can just regularly be giving meeting needs that if a need arises, we don't have to hesitate to uh, be able to care for the person. And so, uh, wherever you're at, if you'd like to give, you know, I think we saw in the passage this morning, no amount is insignificant. No amount is too little. Um, Whatever you feel led to give is great. Uh, But again, if you're new, if you're visiting, um, I really want to tell you, don't don't feel any obligation to give. Um, But if you would like to, uh, you can give basically the same mechanisms uh, as tithing. Um, So, on our website, if you go to the give button, um, there's like a pull-down menu and you can select Community Compassion Fund. You can write a check with uh, Community Compassion Fund in the memo, or you can just come talk to us uh, after service. We'll be out on the breezeway. Steph, Julie, and Tina will be out there if you just have questions or if you want to know more, if you want to um, just talk to them about what they're doing. Uh, second thing, uh, as Julie mentioned, you can sign up to just get connected to what's going on. So if needs arise, if someone needs a refrigerator or shoes or clothes, um, and and maybe you have extra stuff that you can give, Uh, man, that'd be really cool. You know, if we had a lot of people who it's like, oh, I have that, I can give that, or I have that. Um, So if you're interested in doing that, uh, we'll have a sign-up sheet outside. And finally, and I I really do think this is the most important thing, is we want you to connect others to this fund. uh, That you would use this fund to bless people in your life. I think ultimately the best case scenario for this isn't that you would just give to the fund, but it's that you would bless someone else through it. And our our genuine hope is that this fund, the existence of it, us talking about it, that the biggest thing it does is it just makes us more aware of the needs around us, more aware of the ways that we can bless others. Uh, because we know we have the capacity as a church, not just you on your own, not just me on my own, but us together, that we could bless people through this fund. And ultimately, really, that's the larger vision of this fund, is to bless people and to point them to Jesus, to point them to his grace, to his goodness, to the fact that he's an abundant, loving God, and there is enough for you and enough for all people. Uh, When Jesus fed the 4,000 and 5,000, he wasn't just feeding hungry people. Ultimately, he was showing them, this is what God is about. This is what I'm about. When he healed the Gentile woman's daughter, he wasn't just saying, I'm going to make the sickness go away. But I want to point you to a God who takes all brokenness away. We obviously want to meet the needs of our community, but more than that, we want to help people see and know a God who is so good. And so as we close in worship this morning, as we reflect on God's goodness, on his love, I just invite you to pray, um, to ask God how he wants you to get involved in this ministry and how you can grow uh, to experience grace and grow in love. Let's pray.